On this episode of Cult Cinema Cavalcade, we'll be discussing Wes Craven's Shocker from 1989. Joining us will be Brian Collins from A Horror Movie A Day and Birth Movies Death. Welcome to Cult Cinema Cavalcade, a movie podcast that features hosts Brandon and Cullen discussing a film considered but not limited to being a cult classic. The episode you are listening to will include plot spoilers and may contain harsh language. Follow CC Cavalcade on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Listen to the show on cultcinemacavalcade.com, iTunes, and anywhere podcasts are found. Family apparently awake and watching TV at the time the killer struck. For your own sake, fight him. Don't let him take your soul. Buckle up, just gonna kick your ass, boy. This is Colt Cinema Cavalcade. This is episode 59. This is Brandon, and as always with me is your co-hoster and resident Mr. Nice Guy, Colin. I'm really excited to talk about Shocker before that term was associated with a very graphic sex act. Today we are here to discuss the 1989 film, Shocker, not the Shocker. Colin, what was played on our TVs? After being sent to the electric chair, a serial killer used electricity to come back from the dead and carry out his vengeance on the football player who turned him in to the police. Shocker is written and directed by Wes Craven, stars Peter Berg, Mitch Pelegi, Camille Cooper, Michael Murphy, Richard Brooks, and Ted Raimi. So we're back. Welcome to October. Not the only time of year when we discuss horror movies, but one where we discuss nothing but. Without further ado, I'm honored and humbled to have our guest with us today, uh, writer for Birth Movies Death and Horror Movie A Day, the book and the website, Brian Collins. Hello. You mentioned the sex act, the shocker. I just want to indulge just real quick that I used to, back in college or whatever, if I met a girl I liked, I'd make her watch Shark Girl with me. Just to like, <laughs> like a feel for her, you know, her sense of humor and her ability to, you know, watch bad horror movies. Because obviously if we're going to go out, you know, she's going to end up seeing a lot. I told my buddy about this and he was just like, ah, so when you give a girl the Shocker, it means something completely different. I'm like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I got the, the Shocker treatment from Brian Collins over there. Like, oh, <laughs> God. How many girls that, that did you give the shocker? <laughs> they really meant and they feel worse for her. Like, oh God, no. <laughs> no, Mitch Pelegi, Mitch Pelegi was there, Peter Berg, you know. <laughs> but about 20 minutes into the movie, like, can you just feel me up already? Like, all right, all right. You've got your book that's been out for a few years now, right? Yeah, it came out uh, last year. Last year, and now it's in print too. Yep. Got uh, a copy of the print book. It's pretty awesome. Appreciate it. That was you. <laughs> uh, yeah, we did the uh, we did a Kindle version first, and then uh, about a month or two later, I did a um, you know a physical you know, hardcover one. It's kind of designed for print, but you know the the publisher obviously nowadays you know everything wants to just be digital, so I kind of went out on my own to do the print version, which cost more, but again I I think it suits better because you can just kind of flip through and just you know like find a movie, you know rather than like thumb your way through on a on a Kindle or whatever. So I like physical you know, books and yeah. movies and stuff. So I was very happy when it got a print version. I would assume our, our listeners know 
of your work or whatever, but if they don't, uh, tell them what the, the whole horror movie a day thing was for you. So, uh, 2007, I just started, I decided to start watching a horror movie every day. And I just started writing for, like, Bloody Disgusting, and I thought, no, I should, like, catch up on, like, stuff that I missed. And I had, like, Netflix rentals that, you know, were unwatched for, like, months. This was back just when they just had the disc version, you know, there was no streaming yet. I'm like, okay, so I've had these three discs, and they're all horror movies. Like, three discs for, like, four months. I could have just bought these movies for less than I've spent paying the monthly membership fee to rent them. So I'm like, all right, I got to stop wasting time. Like, you know, you work for eight hours, you sleep for eight hours. That's eight hours of your day where you have to do anything else that you want, you know. So I'm like, I could find two hours to watch a movie. So I just started doing that, and then about a month into it, I decided to start writing reviews. Just, like, real short ones of each one. They're only a couple paragraphs, and they're more just like reactions. I mean, this is before Twitter, but they're almost like what you'd tweet after you see a movie. You wouldn't like go into depth. You'd just be like, love the movie. This, you know, the scene in the mausoleum was great. You know what I mean? Just like bullshit like that. Mm -hmm. Sites started getting more and more people reading. I was like, maybe I should take this a little more seriously and like give context to what I'm talking about and actually try to write something of use. I thought I'd do it for a year. Uh, But after a year, there was still a lot of movies I hadn't seen. I still wasn't sick of doing it. People seem to like the site, so I was like, oh, let's keep going until I don't feel like doing it anymore, I guess. And yeah, that ended up being a little over six years. <laughs> Every single day. I missed one day out of six years. That site served as like a gateway for you to other things, right? Like birth yeah, yeah. Death, so when it was badass yeah, day, like Justin. A, yeah, when Devin was starting that site, he came out to me. He's like, I don't want to take away from what you do horror movie day, but he's like, I'm putting a site together. I'd love to have you come in and do like a horror column, you know. And I was like, oh, fuck yeah, you know. I stopped doing it every day like in 2013. I knew, A, I wanted to do the book. B, I was getting tired of it. And C, I knew we were going to eventually have a kid. So I was like, I cannot I have a kid. Might as well stop now, you know, <laughs> get it out of my system before the kid comes. And then, you know, I took a little time off. I do occasional reviews, but I was just like, I'm going to play some video games. I'm going to watch, you know, The Wire, you know, stuff like that. And I still haven't watched The Wire, by the way. Um, all this stuff, all this stuff that had piled up and missed, like in the six years I was doing it. You know, after a little bit, I, I started the book, and the book was—it's a new book. I mean, there's excerpts from the reviews, but I basically kind of went through the whole site and picked out a year's worth of movies to watch that were kind of like discoveries that I thought, you know, movies that weren't famous. I wasn't going to tell you like the 365 best horror movies to watch or anything. You know, The Shining. You know, Halloween. You don't need. Fucking me to tell you to watch this movies right. if you haven't huh. seen them yet. You know, you you haven't seen Shining yet. It's you have a weird reason not to, and it's not going to be like, well, all right, Brian says I should. I guess I better check it out. <laughs> like, you know, so I was like, I'll just you know use this little platform to like shine a light on these kind of movies that when I was doing this every day, these are the ones that made it so much more tolerable. You know, because obviously I've seen a lot of shit movies, mm-hmm. but it was like finding these little gems. You know, I'd say at least 75% of them in the book, I probably never would have saw if I wasn't tracking stuff down all the time. These made it worthwhile, and these should be checked out. They're not all perfect, great movies, but they're interesting, they're trying something different, and you know they stick out for one reason or another. And you've gotten to be involved in some Blu-ray stuff with like Shout Factory and like Severin Films. Like you, you're the, aren't you the the discoverer of Kathy's Curse? Yes, Kathy's Curse. Yeah, I ended up seeing that. I think it was only like two months into the site when I started watching. Like I think it was like April of that year. I started in February. I found this movie on like a little budget pack. I was just like blown away by how like mean spirited and just wacky it was. 
I've always said, if I could have found movies like that for every day, I would never stop. I would just keep going, even with the kid and everything else. I would figure it out. Even when I started getting like kind of tired of it, probably like about a year or so before I quit, I was really starting to feel like the, you know, the, the burden, <laughs> self-imposed burden. I was like, but if I quit now, what if there's another Kathy's curse out there? I got to keep looking for another one. And <laughs> I never did. There was nothing that ever quite measured up to that movie. You know, people are always like, hey, uh, you know, I want to watch a horror movie. Not any suggestions. I'm like, I don't know. Like, I don't know what you've seen. Like, I don't even know who you are, let alone what you've watched, what kind of. Like, so I'd always just say Kathy Stern because I knew nobody else would see it. <laughs> <laughs> like, the only person I ever got to watch it was Simon Barrett, who ended up doing the commentary with me. So, oh, wow. Well, yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, that was his reward. I'm like, Simon, they asked me to do the commentary. I'm like, yeah, Simon can do it, sure. I mean, yeah, it's it's not a great movie. It's it's just you know, my, it's kind of like Shocker in that way. It's just like this little you know goofy movie that speaks to you for whatever reason. I was, I mean, it was so happy to be a part of that Blu-ray. As dumb as the movie is, and like I don't know, twelve people even bought it for all I know, but it like made me so happy that I got to be on there like a little bit. Yeah, especially awesome. especially when I compare it to Shocker because I should be on the Shocker Blu-ray because we did a Q and A with Wes. I don't know if I'm getting ahead of myself here. No, you're fine. Uh, we can move oh, into okay. Shocker's one of the, like, as being a reader of yours for many years, that's one of your pinnacle Brian Collins movies where you were wanting to, that to Blu-ray. I bucked Jeff Nelson from Screen Factory every single time I saw him. I would just be like, when's Shocker coming? When's Shocker? I think he was starting to get legit angry about it. <laughs> it evolved beyond a running joke to, like, you're fucking pissing me off. Shut up. <laughs> but he pulled me outside one night probably five or six months before it came out. And it was just like, you're the only one telling. And I knew instantly, like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Uh, things <laughs> like, we can get darker, it's coming. Leave me the fuck alone. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we did a Q&A with Wes uh, at the New Beverly here in LA in 2009. We had Wes and three of the cast members. And so we recorded the Q&A. It was a pretty good one. It lasted a while. Wes was in good spirits. Uh, they wanted to put it on the Blu-ray. Wes had brain cancer at the time, and even he signed his release. Mm. But one of the actors, who I will not name, might be somebody's brother, did not sign the release, and therefore the, the Q&A did not end up on the Blu-ray. And it crushed oh. Oh, oh, at the New Beverly, you had a, what, a screening a month, was it? Yeah, almost every, yeah, we'd miss a month here and there, but yeah, it was mostly, it was every month or two, we would do one. And you showed the first showing of the producer's cut of Halloween six since what yeah. those infamous test screenings, right? Yeah, that was the first. It was like the probably the second or third time the print had ever been run. We originally we were gonna just do the you know the theatrical cut, and I I contacted Dan Farrens, the writer, as I know him a bit, and I was like, oh hey, if you're gonna be in town, I know you you know you'd love to come and talk, and you know it's at midnight, it's totally casual, you can <laughs> you can. <laughs> Say whatever you like. Um, you can cuss the the ultimate and, gateway and to like, going on shows. Yeah, and he's like, <laughs> "Hell yeah!" Like, yeah, I'll do it. And he's like, "You know what?" He's like, "Let me talk to Malik real quick." He's like, "You know, we actually do have a print of the you know the producer's cut." I'm like, "Are you serious?" Because like this is you know the New Beverly for a while they had digital, but this is before digital that they installed a digital projector. So at this time, as it is now, it was totally 100 percent 35 millimeter film. You know, there's no Blu-ray screenings. There's no you know, DCP, none of that. It was like you had to show something on 35. It never even dawned on me that there might have been a 35 millimeter print of of the movie. So I was like, "Are you serious?" And he's like, "He's like, yeah, we have a print. It's like back in the day. That's how they tested stuff. Like they didn't just do it on a DCP or Blu-ray like they do now." 
we worked it out and Dimension actually signed off on it. They were like, you know, if you give us our licensing fee, we don't care what the hell you do. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's not like it's a secret at this point. You know, everybody knows about the damn thing. Yeah. So, uh, so that was great because it was the first time the movie had legally been shown ever for like a paying audience. And it was a, great too because tough time, like October in LA. It's just there's 15 things to do every night if you're a horror fan. Like there's just constant stuff. There's screenings. There's more screenings. There's you know a haunted house you know kind of events. We have a ton of those things out here. And this is like the Saturday before Halloween, which obviously is the night people can do their parties as well. So we had every competition in the world, and I guarantee you, if we just show the theatrical cut, it'd be me and Dan and a couple of hardcore Michael Myers guys, and that's about it. But we ended up pretty close to packing the place, which was awesome. I'm so I, excited. See this thing not blurry for one. Right. Back to uh, Shocker. Yeah. I almost forgot. I mean, you've been a big fan. Did you get to it in the theater back in 89? or? No, I it... never even I never even knew about the movie at all until my buddy had the soundtrack. I was like 10. And he just had the soundtrack. And I was like, what is this? And you know, it was probably like the first like metal music. I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure some metal heads like, that ain't metal. But you know, to me, <laughs> 10 years only hearing like air supply or whatever the hell my parents were listening to this was metal and uh i was like holy shit he's like well you didn't see this movie yet i'm like no he's like ah oh. like you know the next time we were hanging out he rented it you know, like, oh my god it was one of those that like <laughs> stuck out at the video store that him yeah yeah the electric yeah, chair so you always do. yeah this is like the late 80s not you know early 90s used to starting to get a lot of like bad slashers you know like those, those like so many kind of straight to video or indie ones like i'm thinking like slaughterhouse and mm-hmm. You know, ones like that. And then all this cover is kind of the same. It was like this big hulking killer on the cover, you know? So I think, like, at the time, I was probably expecting just something like that. Yeah, it was part of that 1989 turning point where, like, Jason Takes Manhattan, The Dream Child, and Halloween 5, which aren't anyone's yeah. favorite of the big three. <laughs> and, uh, all the worst of the best. And, although we stick by you on Jason Takes Manhattan. I like I like Manhattan a lot. Yeah. I, I, I do that a lot. Uh, uh, and Leatherface, it's probably- actually, it's out around then too yeah January, but something great if we had all four in one year yeah and then this is a west craven slasher too it's like everything that looked so bright in 89 yeah. then the movies all came out and it was like whoa yeah and then yeah next thing you know freddy's dead jason goes to hell michael myers <laughs> called like it was yeah. all the unnecessary backstory sequels in the 90s but uh, this was this was part of what Wes Craven had a deal with some. It was that guy. I can't remember, but yeah. he, he he got Carpenter and him is like, look, I'll cover all the costume movies. You make the movies you want, and then I'll sell them to Universal the way they are, or yeah. something like that, right? So yeah, it was the same guy. Yeah, so Carpenter did Prince of Darkness and They Live, and then Wes's Wes did Shocker, and I think People Under the Stairs was the other one. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Or was it Serpent in the Rainbow? Maybe, no, no, Rainbow, I think you know. Wes did three of them under this guy, and Carpenter oh, okay. just did two. Oh, okay. I think maybe yeah. that's how it was. I think Carpenter okay. was supposed to do more, but then he he boned out to go do something else, and that's where they got Wes Craven to come in, I believe. Yeah. Or maybe out, I'm making that up. That boned yeah. out would be uh, Memoirs of an Invisible Man, I think. Yeah, yeah, that was Carpenter's next one. That and worked he, out well for him. This is, <laughs> this is basically Wes Craven going, okay, I don't want to do Freddy, but I want to do Freddy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I'll teach those sons of bitches. <laughs> yeah, I remember I remember reading he he didn't he got kind of shut out of the like the profits on all the movies too. Like they wouldn't give him a check every time even though he created Freddy. Like they he didn't get his, you know, rightful share every time they made another sequel. Part of the deal for New Nightmare was I mean, I don't think he asked, but I think Bob Shea was like, oh, you know, here like 
we screwed up here you go and like gave him his share of like the four other sequels so i was like oh that's a nice move you know? unlike, unlike when carpenter met back with the akads yeah yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah just give me my money and i'll make this move nope yeah. <laughs> we can get into shocker it opens like nightmare at elm street with, oh yeah <laughs> with horace pinker though we, we don't know his name yet just dragging his foot along limping fiddling with the tv soldering wires and stuff but he's not making a glove he does have his other signature move early in the movie of his uh, just violent swearing throughout the whole movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, that's that's my favorite thing about him. Like whenever he's on screen, like what awful thing is he going to say next? It's so delightful. It's intense. If you're if you're a kid and there's some like intense dude like this cussing, it's kind of it's kind of scary because he's saying mean bad words. Like I could see yeah. I could see where that angle is coming from. <laughs> To me, when I hear him swear, I just get excited. Like, yeah, you get him, Shocker. You get him good. <laughs> the movie has one failing: is that nobody ever calls him Shocker. Shocker. Yeah. I know. <laughs> they call. They say it in one of the song lyrics. Yeah, the, like, opening, uh, the opening. The yeah, like, opening song is Shocker. That's why they call him the Shocker or whatever. But, like, no, they don't. That's the, that's probably why the movie never got a sequel. They failed to. <laughs> well, I mean, if they called it Pinker, I don't know if. <laughs> It's a whole different movie. It's a whole different. <laughs> I, although I do like the idea of him being called Horace Shocker. Horace. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> one of the one of the programs of the TV focuses on exposition about uh, the killing spree that uh, yeah. Horace Pinker's going on, and then we pull out from the TV to the concession stand where a young studly Peter Berg, as Jonathan Parker, changes the channel to a football game. Jonathan. Schneider caught five touchdowns against Dallas last night. What are you watching this crud for? Where's my coat? I haven't had a good night's sleep in over a month because of that creep. If you don't like the news, Dorian, change the channel. Before Twitter, you can you could avoid news for a while. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Although the news seems to always be on in this movie. It's either the news or stock footage of graphic sadness. <laughs> Yeah. You know, John Tesh, number one rated anchor in this town, <laughs> yeah. in Minneapolis. Johnson's a uh, football star, and where he shows off on the field. And uh, after screwing up a play, his coach chews him out, and we see Tade Ramey keeping stats. Mm-hmm. Pac-Man. Yeah, Pac-Man, stat geek. And we see a girl named Allison, a blonde, watching him in, in amazement, watching him, Peter Berg, not Ted Ramey, in amazement. And there's a show-off play where you know, Peter Berg runs for a touchdown and runs into a goalpost. Pac-Man tries to talk him into seeing a doctor for a concussion as he stares at Allison and then falls over a refreshment table. So he's a, a clumsy, clumsy hero here. Allison comes over and they act like they don't know each other as a part of some flirtation. And... I don't think he was acting. I think he was... <laughs> no, you might want to yeah. go get that concussion check, bud. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> it could be, because on the next scene, they're walking home, and Jonathan gets this odd feeling. He goes to a street where he says he was raised on, and his family still lives there, and he sees a cable van parked in front of the house. Yeah, this is, this is always a weird kind of diversion in the movie, because it's not the gr- most... I mean, I guess it's, it works because you don't realize he's dreaming yet. Mm-hmm. But... Mm-hmm. It's just such a lengthy setup to you know for a dream scene that it doesn't quite land, and and it's awkward that he's like this is like this is where I grew up, as if you know he just found himself there. Like well, you live in the same town, dude. Like don't you ever go to your own house? Right. It's like oh, I yeah. didn't know the shortcut through the cemetery wound up here. It yeah. kind of feels like that kind of moment, but yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, it's weird, and you don't expect this to be a dream. In, uh, says, West's on the commentary, says they're in Pasadena. I'm in L.A., so I mean, Pasadena's the, you know, right, right next door. Oh, right. Uh, and that's where they shot, you know, that's where they shot Halloween, Halloween. stuff, too. So I wonder if these houses are recognizable. Was the two-story blockbuster there at the time when they shot this movie? <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, as I, I was hoping when they did it, because um, Sean Clark does a lot of those Horace Harlow grounds on mm-hmm. the screen. In fact, I was hoping there'd be one for this, but they didn't do one. That would have been cool. Yeah. You could have compared the streets. <laughs> but, yeah, it's, it's weird because, yeah, he looks back and Allison's gone. And he enters, yeah. enters the house to find the bloodied body of Bobby, who, I yeah, mean, Bobby. it's just at this time, it's like, okay. And he goes upstairs, and there's Horace Pinker right away and has his mother and little sister held at knife point. And they scream, and Jonathan jumps at Pinker and goes through them. And he wakes up <laughs> in his room where Allison is with him, saying she was watching him after he hit the goalpost. So apparently, you know, that but when he gets up from the goalpost, was that part of the dream too? I, yeah, I it's weird because, you know, when you watch this movie, you don't think it's going to be as dreamy as it is. You're like, oh, this guy, you know, see the trailer, he gets an electric chair and then is going through electric currents and stuff like that, and he's a serial killer. But yeah. it doesn't really hint to dream stuff. Yeah. But it was the 80s. Almost every supernatural kind of horror movie had dream sequences in them somewhere. True. Mm-hmm. You uh, just wish yeah. kind of known better to tone it down a little. <laughs> it's already well, a lot easier to compare. Phone rings, and it's Jonathan's dad, who is a cop. And he gets worried, asking if the family is all right. And he cut to the house on the storming night. His dad stops him at the front of the house and tells him not to go in there. And he informs him they're all gone. There's nothing they can do. And John Tesh reports on the story, where we find Jonathan was a foster child for the family who was taken in after being found beaten as a child. That's clue number one. Yeah. I've talked to people who never quite picked up on the fact that Peter Berg's character is Shocker's real son. Somehow they missed it. I mean, he they literally talk about it like five times, but they st- it still doesn't quite register on some folks. Really? I, going back to it, it's like, yeah, wow, that's that's super obvious. Maybe you're just not thinking about it hard the first time through, or yeah. Well, well how else would Jonathan be able to dream and interact with with, with Shocker? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he shouldn't even be able to really do that to begin with, but. Yeah. <laughs> with, with Shocker, with Shocker's background, it's like, all right, there was some spooky stuff going on, so maybe it went over to his son too? Question mark. We get a funeral scene because it's a Wes Craven movie. Yep. <laughs> where we learn exactly that... what I thought. And uh, John Tesh tells us that seven families and almost thirty people have been killed. Uh, Jonathan and his dad meet at a bar sometime after. This is not after the funeral. This like time has passed. Though it looks as if it could have been after the funeral. Yeah, no, it looks like the, but the, the funeral is on TV, so like they're still wearing their suits. <laughs> yeah. The, the funeral is on TV. It's like, televised, the funeral. <laughs> he tells his dad they dreamt of the murders the night it happened before it did. His dad doesn't believe him, of course, but then he recounts exact details. I thought it was killed in the living room. Flashlight was laying right next to him. Fingers on his right hand were broken. These three. Diane and Sally got it up in Sally's room. What is this shit? That's how it was. He tells the dad he knows what the guy looks like and that he has a limp. After trying to leave, he continues to convince his dad and tells him about the van he saw. So, fuck procedure. 
and they go to the TV repair place, and I can feel him. And they says as they break into the place uh, where they decide they like, you know what, we're investigating a B and E, so that gives us uh, cause to B and E. They search what seems to be an empty place and are slowly bumped off through a stealthy secret passage used by Horace Pinker. Jonathan notices a cigarette randomly. A blood puddle leaks out from the wall, and Pinker is now dressed like a cop and kills the officers on watch outside. I just love the bit where they they find the the dead cop because like there are gallons of blood, oh like, yeah, all over the floor, and and Michael Murphy checks his pulse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <He's Yes. gone. laughs> I mean, this is like buckets of blood that I, I don't think, like, with Craven-wise, I, I can't think of him covering rooms and stuff in blood, like, until Scream 4. Yeah, well, it's funny, because when I was a kid, I was like, this is the goriest movie ever, but I'm realizing, I think, how they got away with it from the MPAA, a lot of it is post-death blood. Like, right. it's just mm-hmm. spread around, so it's not splashing, I think I think splashing is what MPAA really hated. Like, they didn't want to see, like, the impact, and then, like, squirts everywhere, so... There's a ton of blood in the movie, but it's dried. <laughs> I mean, it's... if you're just counting drops of blood, this is like the bloodiest movie of the late 80s because the MPA left it alone with regards to that stuff. But, so... I mean, I think they still... I don't, I've never, I don't, There's never been an uncut version, but I know Wes has said that he did have to go back to the MPA a few times in this one. Wes was notorious for just overdoing it on purpose to get what he wanted, yeah. too. Yeah. There's a lot of like, found corpses in this movie, I noticed. I'm curious if that was, you know, the design originally or if, like, it just, they had to be found, you know, because the MPA never cut <laughs> the actual kills. That is true. There's, there are a lot of found yeah. So not only is he borrowing from Nightmare on Elm Street, he's also stealing from Friday the 13th, where there's just yeah. bodies just everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think one thing with Wes Craven, this, he really goes for a lot in some of these, like, horror action scenes where some of these sequences feel like they could come at, like, the end of the movie at the climax like this police one oh, yeah. where you know mm-hmm. it results in him you know sneaking away in a police outfit for another kill that could have been i mean the end yeah, <laughs> yeah they could have amped it up even more i mean it, it feels like a setup for that john and his father find horace's demented office which has dead animals hanging from the ceiling he didn't kill just humans i went to a trivia game and they actually asked in shock, what what uh, animal did Horace Pinker sacrifice? And I could not remember. I'm like, how like how often is a shocker question going to come up at trivia? And <laughs> back something I literally don't know. I, I was like, is a goat? I just couldn't remember the damn cat that he had hanging up there. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> oh your buddy's like, yo, real big shocker fan over here, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. talk about it all the time. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I love how this like community college kid who was like a foster kid as well uh, has his own house yeah i thought that was super weird too his family clearly <laughs> is in town college, like football team like, like what, what you, especially in la like i don't want to tell you how much this place would be to right run, yeah I can tell you <laughs> yeah well it's also different. post-earthquake so it's probably yeah. cheap so that was <laughs> when i was out there people were telling me about how man we need an earthquake again so prices can go down i'm like kidding me like, yeah man everybody left town and you could get places cheap I was like, okay good to know so, but yeah that's what Thanks. i did hoping for yeah. earthquakes they go outside just as pinker's driving away and they find the bodies of the rest of the cops and the dad's pissed telling jonathan to let him deal with him as he's holding a uh, cb with the the cord cut off pinker thought through 
I just thought he was carrying around the, the CB himself. Because <laughs> I never saw him go to the car and to see him yelling at his son with a, the head, handset in his hand. John Tesh re- returns again. He's like a lead at this point, John Tesh. <laughs> he yeah. Re- he reports on all uh, on it all the next day, naming Horace Pinker. And somewhere, he's you know Horace Pinker himself is pissed and learns of John's dreaming from an article. And rips his picture from the paper. Immediately wads it up. Right. Seems like a waste of time. Allison and Jonathan have a little convo about things before he leaves for school and gives her a birthday present, which is a heart-shaped necklace. Uh Allison gets ready and listens to John Tesh again give more exposition about Pinker, that he's into black magic. That's one of the things. And uh, the constant storms of the past three days. Jonathan sits in his car for a long while before he leaves the house. After Allison asks her necklace to have God keep John safe, she's attacked and murdered by Horace Pinker right away. It's like, I always like that part where he goes outside and like you could, he's, he knows something's wrong, but he's like trying to convince himself that, ah, come on, like, like he can't be here or seeing him or whatever. He's just like kind of sitting there like thinking about it. And then he just ultimately decides to take out. It's like a little cool little beat in the movie that they could have just, you know, easily cut out. They could have just had him drive away and nothing, you know. Followed by like a really One shocking thing this movie turn. Is that, is that this movie's very tone deaf. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's, it's like it's like at times it's like a legit suspense movie. And then like it's just like a goofy batshit comedy of others. And right. It's deal- yeah. A killer who murders children it's not exactly fun kind of stuff and freddy by the time he we got he turned into a goofy like they kind of just forgot about mentioning the fact that he's a foul killer like he was just like a standard movie slasher that went after you know the characters like you just supposed to kind of forget that he used to murder children mm-hmm. um like this it's like all at once like this is going from like you know, Nightmare 1 to Nightmare, you know, to Freddy's Dead all in one movie. <laughs> <laughs> but when Allison gets it, like, that took me by surprise. Like, and it's early, yeah, yeah. too. It's, it's like, whoa. Yeah. It's early. I mean, this is, like, one of maybe, what, three slasher movies ever where the, the male is the hero. Like, it's very, very rare. Yeah, there's, like, The Burning, Elm Street 2, and this. Yeah. Well, Elm Street 2. He's not really the name. hero. He was just the protagonist. Yeah. Yeah, he was the, the person that we have to watch. Yeah. What's the girl's name? No, nah, was it Lisa? Yeah, it was, it was Lisa, I think. There's Little. a lot. Of, there's at least like three scenes in this movie of people like walking in and finding corpses with like cops around and people being like, oh, don't go look at that. Oh, you don't want to see this. <laughs> don't go look at it, but really go look at it. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. There's like one cop. Let me go get his dad. Like, why don't you stop him? Like, <laughs> <laughs> hold him back. Yeah, just let him wander around while we go look for his dad to do what we could do. Maybe his dad will okay it. You never know. Yeah, because <laughs> uh, Jonathan sees that Allison isn't at practice, and his coach is like, you better go home, because coach knows. And it, there's that crime scene with the blood-soaked bathroom where happy birthday, Jonathan, has been written in blood. I cannot and- believe that the police would just let him, would let Jonathan walk in and see not just his dead girlfriend, but that tub yeah. is full of blood. And she's just sitting there yeah. in it. It's like, it's like Horace brought his own buckets of blood. It's like, well, I'm going to need more. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, oh, man. Like, he cut himself up if he runs out. Just like, oh. <laughs> exactly. Like he murders other people walking by <laughs> he, just to he, he drain keep, them into the tub. He keeps extra bodies in the van 
in case he runs out. I, yeah, yeah, I was like, well, I, I need a tub full of blood. Oh, my God. And uh, Craven plays with your expectations as there's another funeral scene. It's like, oh, <laughs> I thought we were done with those. On the football field at night, John and his teammate meet up in a car parked on the track. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I never get that. I just drive off. Yeah. Like, why didn't you guys like, just did they not have the access to? Did they not have access to the parking lot? Why couldn't they just <laughs> put a car where a car is supposed to be? Like, did he? Did did Rhino meet him there, or did he like? Hold on, Rhino, I gotta do this, and then like walk up to the top of the bleachers to come back down. Yeah, Peter Berg seems to be surveying the land <laughs> as he's waiting for Rhino. They, they talk about knowing what to do. They pull to the town street where John finds a, a family being attacked by Horace, and he confronts him. And we then see that John is actually sleeping in the car back at the track, and his friend wakes him up, and he disappears from Horace Pinker. It's totally nothing like Nightmare on Elm Street at oh, all. Oh, no, no, not at all. No, no. Uh, John remembers the street intersection where he was, and they head there. We see he's being followed by a group of cops, and they stop him when they get there. Before he can go in the building, his dad shows up, and he's like, what are you doing here? He's like, my job. Uh, there's a, a scream, and everyone scrabbles inside. Pinker has a woman at knife point in a standoff, which he hasn't killed her by now. He's been sitting in that position. There's no, like, time <laughs> thing here. Yeah. But How close is that school like, to the like, house? Like, did you see that kid, like, show up and disappear? What the hell was that about? Yeah, they had a conversation about it. They took, Can we take a pause? Can we pause here? Uh, let's, uh, let's talk about what we just saw. I jumped through that kid. I mean, I know I'm here to kill you, but I'm freaking out now. I mean, I do black magic. I can't even do that. So I just... (laughs) He throws her down the stairs, and John manages... Jonathan manages to get through the police and chase them to the roof, and he leaps across buildings to get to Horace Pinker, and he gets a sweet... is no joke. He gets a sweet jump kick in. (laughs) I couldn't believe (laughs) Gets the door. (laughs) <laughs> was awesome. That was, that was some WWE shit right there. Right. Uh, they get him and uh, Jonathan and Pinker get in a fight, and the cops finally bust into the roof just in time to arrest Pinker as he taunts John about his girlfriend's death. Jonathan tells his dad, "I want to be there. I want to be there. What? They give him the chair. I want to be there. Don't be crazy. It's over." I let it go. I want to see him die, Don. I've earned it. I want to see him die. Yeah, maybe we've both earned it. I'll get a box seat. And they have the tedious trial, and, and uh, yeah. <laughs> it's like a week later, he's on the chair. Yeah, we go from that to no more Mr. Nice Guy playing as we set up the electric chair. People... I, I feel like they play the whole song to no more <laughs> Mr. Nice oh, Guy. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, this is back before... You know, nowadays you get a soundtrack and, like, none of the songs are actually in the movie. Maybe get, like, one during the end credits. But, like, every single song from the soundtrack is in this movie somewhere, which I love. Some written for and... the movie, some just fit. Well, that, that's kind of like the, the tone stuff that you were talking about, Brian, about how, you know, there's just this scene where they're chasing the killer down. And the next thing is, like, no more, Mr. Nice Guy. Like, what is, what's your tone, movie? <laughs> that was around the time the, the rooftop stuff was, like, when they did the screening, because this is a midnight screening, we had the Q&A before, that way Wes could leave if he wanted to, but I, I shouldn't say he stayed, he watched the movie. And so we do a Q&As before the midnight, we say show up at midnight, but that's when you do the Q&A, so the movie doesn't really start till probably close to one o'clock. 
at that point, you just, you're starting to get tired no matter what. And you could just feel like the energy in the room just starting to sap because people were realizing like, oh yeah, we're almost 40 minutes into this movie. He's still not even dead yet. Right, like, still, yeah. I always said this movie's like, you know, it's a wonderful life of horror because, you know, it's a wonderful life. People say, oh, it's about the guy who sees what his life would be like if he was never born. Like, well, yeah, in the third act he does. Like, that's not what the movie's about, man. <laughs> like, yeah. the movie's about everything that leads up to him wishing that. And so well, Shark this... is the same way. People are like, oh yeah, it's the, the killer of like the electricity he goes through the TV. Like, well, yeah, in the second, the TV stuff's only lasts like 20 minutes and the electricity even takes a while to get to. This yeah. is like a really like, oddly paced movie. Like there's like all the buildup, you know, like it almost seems like they could have had a part one about this serial killer that you could dream about and catch. And then in part two, they go goofy and, and like let him go through electricity. Yeah, <laughs> like, right, yeah. yeah. This movie's like if Nightmare on Elm Street was made, but the first half of the movie was about Freddy actually yeah. murdering the children and him being burned. I know Wes said at one point that he originally had this idea as like a TV show. And I'm wondering if that's just like a remnant of that. Like, you know, like pilot would end with him getting the power to transfer bodies. And then people were like, oh, shit, like that's where it's going. You know what I mean? Like it's just awkward for a movie. Like you expect that to be 20 minutes in or something. It's not like the hidden body jumping one. Shocker one's about Pinker as a human and he gets a yeah. chair at the end. But then there's a little tease that, oh, he might still be alive through a person yeah. the second one's a body swapping movie and the third one he can travel through your electronics <laughs> man Wes Craven really fucked up damn it Wes we could be on Shocker 7 we could be on the Shocker remake by now there we go yeah I mean they wanted to make more of these but actually plotted stuff out so we come in like you know the end like October or November of 89 I mean so we're literally talking about the end of the 80s and I think slashers and this type of movie was just so much on its last legs by now. They couldn't even get people to show up for the franchise ones anymore, let alone new stuff. So I think people are just moving on to different kinds of horror. I think it was more of a victim of that than, you know, that movie did make money. Yeah, it made money, but didn't take the, the world by yeah. storm. Yeah, those movies are like, all right, well, no one lost anything, and good job, but, you know, we, yeah. we move. No, no one's demanding this, except for me, but... Yeah, it's surprising <laughs> though with the the straight to video boom that was going yeah. on there that they didn't try that. But I guess the first the, one was it wasn't really until... big on that too. They were the ones that were doing like you know they did like the Darkman sequels and the Tremor sequels, you know. Mm-hmm. So they were like the forefront of like the respectable direct to video <laughs> sequels. Pinker, they're setting up the the room. People take their seats. Uh, we follow Chaplin, the Pinker, who uh, find his last wish was a TV in his cell, and we find <laughs> him shocking himself attached to it and he's like come on give it to me and a voice a voice says you got it baby and some sort of magical transference is happening as we notice there are arranged candles there too it's like yeah I, I, he I, asked I, for I, a tv what jumper cables and candles <laughs> and yeah, a lighter i know like, <laughs> nothing you, suspicious about anything you, like, then I'm gonna you go ahead and do your cute little ritual there man it's they won't let you have shoelaces because, yeah. you know, oh, you might hang yourself or you know, something like that. Meanwhile, he has jumper cables in his cell. Wes, and the part where the guy comes out is like, you got it, babe. Like, Wes goes, hmm, you know, I might have been a little whimsical at some of these verses. <laughs> like, whimsical? And that's what little? I, like, like, when that, you got it, baby, came out of the TV, I thought, are we going to get an explanation as to what the hell that was? It's John the, Tesh, man. TV? John Tesh is behind this whole thing. <laughs> He's the grandmaster of the Shocker. I, we'll find I that love, out in Shocker if, 4. 
I would love if just an image of John Tesh came up on the TV, just give him the thumbs up, and then that's how Shocker got his powers. <laughs> the cops try to revive him, and he bites the lip off one of them, and it, then he bites the fingers off another cop. So Horace Pinker is a biter. And then he says, finger licking good, because, again, <laughs> he's part Freddy Krueger. Yeah. They finally get him to the chair where he sees Jonathan and taunts him, and there's a woman there who doesn't think this is right, treating him like an animal. Pinker's final words admit to Jonathan that he it was his father and killed his mother. That Jonathan shot his knee with a gun. So, like, everything's small universing right here, that it all happened yeah. in a day. <laughs> I, I, I don't understand how people didn't realize that uh, yeah, Pinker it, was Jonathan's father. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's not like they just left it at that. You know, I mean, they keep coming back to it over and over. And it's in like, the all, it's in things, the yeah. important we're going to shock shocker scene, like where he's yeah. created. Yeah. And he gives this information. It's, I used to beat you good, boy. I was beating you good when your mama tried to stop me with a gun. You shut your mouth, you fuck! Witness, well, sit down and remain silent. <laughs> Prisoner has a right to speak. That's right. I was beating you real good when your mama tried to stop me with that gun that she brought into our happy home. You saw me kill her. Don't you remember how she screamed? And how clever you were grabbing that gun and shooting me right through the fucking knee, you little peckerhead! Such a big gun just blasting away at your daddy with murder in your eyes. Like father, like son, huh? They pull a switch and electrocute Pinker, though he's still conscious afterwards. The concerned woman is actually a doctor and goes in and is electrocuted when she touches him. And then shit just goes haywire. When the lights come up, Horace Pinker's gone, nowhere to be found. Jonathan asks his dad if what Pinker said was true, to which he says that info was in the paper. He was just he was just messing with him. Like, oh no, because maybe people bought into what Jonathan's foster fathers had to say over pinker maybe. but otherwise how could jonathan dream and know where shocker was that doesn't add up unless there's some kind of connection between the two of them yeah he was the one that shot him in the knee and i just love that everybody that shocker possesses like has the same limp like yes. a knee part of the soul i guess <laughs> jonathan closes a door and pinker's corpse falls behind it from behind it and it burns up leaving just the inmate outfit behind and says jesus that chair really kicks ass <laughs> cops put the doctor's body in a squad car to take to the hospital she arises in the back seat and breaks the passenger cop's neck and forces the other to drive into a fuel tanker as she's obviously possessed by pinker at the accident scene, Jonathan and his dad argue as Jonathan says he didn't feel Pinker at all in that body. Uh, they find the driver, cop, flown from the accident and alive. Uh, Jonathan goes crazy wondering what happened to the doctor as his teammates show up and help get him out of the way. Then go to the middle of the night. Jonathan wakes up hearing something in the bathroom. He opens the shower curtain and a bloodied Allison is there saying she needs to stop Horace. And she gives him the necklace saying it will... Drive him out and keep him away. And I gotta say, I I like this the lighting and stuff in this scene, and it's neat when he opens the curtain and you can see outside. When Sharker kind of disappears from the chair and they're kind of looking around for him, and then also at the car accident, there's like these two like, like kind of like long take 
tracking shots that obviously they're nothing compared to Children of Men or whatever. But I mean, back then, you know, you mm-hmm. can see that kind of stuff. And Wes has some really good, like he mentioned, like lighting and visuals with this movie. Some of his best. DP went on. He did something like highbrow. I can't remember what the hell it was. And I was like, oh wow, like that's the guy that shot Shocker. He's he not not the main director, but he's the DP of the second unit for um, the uh, the last couple of Fast and the Furious movies. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I mean, he's still working. He's working on big stuff. So. Everything with Allison look just looks really cool. Every time she's in, like they've got some cool like fog going or something. She pushes him onto his bed, which is a water bed, and becomes a pool. And, and Cullen, who do we know that likes water beds? Tom Labrie. I'm Tom Labrie, and we're here to put a smile on your face and some comfort in your life. You know, I've been getting a lot of letters from people who live in mobile homes. And what you've been asking is, can I put a waterbed in my home or trailer? Definitely. As a matter of fact, most motorhomes have the ideal construction for a flotation system. A lot of people say they're concerned about the size. Well, at Labrie's Waterbed Warehouse, we have twins, doubles, queens, and king size to choose from. Plus, I guarantee we have the right bed to fit your budget. So if you live in a mobile home or trailer, and you have been thinking about some comfort in your life, come see us. And now, let's get back to the movie. When Jonathan wakes up, the necklace is in bed next to him, and we see he's packing up to move out of the house. It's like, screw this place. <laughs> Sick of walking in and finding dead people. Yep. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> Having bad I dreams his, I here. Like that he, his, his mode of packing is literally just putting sheets over every single thing. Right, yeah. Like, you go buy like 300 freaking bags of sheets or like you have all this. Boxes you gotta pack and she's some gonna... stuff. You, gotta, you can't just put sheets over everything. He's going to tape them up later. It's like, all right, that's packed. Let's put it in. But I love this house, man. I want this house. Cute little bungalow. Is he kind of like yeah. a giant studio apartment in a way? Because he's got this one yeah, huge no, I, room and then a, a full bathroom. Yeah, but he's, there's another room back there. We just don't see it. Oh, okay. And there's got to be a kitchen, I assume. Yeah, no he... one gets murdered in that room, so we don't really see much of yeah. it. It's it, it's Los Angeles. He could just have a hot plate. You never yeah. know. <laughs> As he uh, wanders around the, the house, there's a knock at the door. It's a cop who wants him to go down to the station to see his father. It's the one who was at the accident they found flying out of the car. What's his name? Pulowski or something? Pastori. Pastori, yes. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. Pastori. And then a call comes in, and the machine gets it. And this is Dad wondering if he knew anything about the cop that survived the wreck disappearing from the hospital. John, John's like, oh, no. And then Pastori begins firing at him and chasing him with a limp through backyards. During this chase, Jonathan realizes it's Pinker possessing this guy, and he gets shot in the arm. And later in the chase, Pastori winces and then falls to the ground. He begs Jonathan for help. Jonathan begins to fall for it, and... He returns to Pinker and begins firing at him again. He also shoots an innocent jogger crawling over to him and transfers Jogger's bodies. Wes's, Wes's son. Here you go, son. Take a bullet. <laughs> in the park, a little girl bumps into Jonathan and then rides off on a tricycle. Her mom comes by and John points her to the right direction. Cut to the little girl with the jogger. I wonder how big this park is, too, because like they were just having a shootout and they run a little bit. <laughs> And like the mom and the like, they're still just playing. Like they're not concerned with like the firing. Yeah. Or, like, is it that far away? Yeah. Usually, when a sh- uh, gun is fired, people 
<laughs> are aware. They leave yeah. the area or they call the police. And it's a loud gun too. Yeah. yeah. You could hear that across the water. That the the girl, little girl having become pinker and limping over to some construction equipment. She gets into like a bulldozer's like, come on, you fucker, move. <laughs> you mean my favorite thing in the movie? Yeah. Oh, what's yeah. it? A silent bulldozer. Like it just comes out of nowhere. Like he couldn't hear it. <laughs> it almost hits him. The same yes. bike did. It did. I thought it did hit him. It looked like it bumped him. Uh, I don't know. I was like, whoa, that hit him. Apparently the construction equipment has the same silent running technology as uh, the hunt for an October, right? Right, yeah. <laughs> <gasps> oh, yeah, yeah. Jonathan chases after the girl, after the bulldozer incident, and uh, but just then the mom finds them, gets pissed at Jonathan, attacks him as he drops the girl. Uh, he tosses her off and then goes after the girl, but Jonathan pulls out the necklace at the girl, and the mom once again stops him. But then we see a digital analog type pinker hop out of the girl and take over the mom yeah. who passes to a, a construction worker who runs over. She transfers to him and pinker grabs the necklace with a pickaxe and throws it in the pond. And then Jonathan knocks the guy over and runs away. That construction worker has got a hell of an arm uh, to yeah, throw yeah. that pickaxe. How far would you say that pickaxe went? That'd be like 50 yards, and he threw it, I don't know, a couple of stories in the air. It was amazing. We're talking about like the people being, the wall has to be clear because people are going to throw drugs over it. And uh, <laughs> yeah. you had to be able to, like, this is who he's talking about. He saw a shark one day. He's like, oh man, it's possible. <laughs> <laughs> Jonathan confides in his coach, Rhino, and Pac Man about all this while having his arm mended too, and they totally buy into it right away. Sure. Like, yeah, yeah, let's do this. <laughs> Stop him. Not a lot. They just go along. Like, all right. We trust Jonathan. Like, like, ne- like none of them. Well, I was going to say that none of them questioned that this guy had a concussion recently. But that was who knows how long ago <laughs> that was. It, it might have been a week in this movie's universe. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's right. Maybe this is like the future in Back to the Future Part 2 where they abolish all lawyers. So the yeah. justice system moves a lot quicker. We go to uh, night. Back in the park area where John last left Pinker, he becomes paranoid because his coach and Pac-Man aren't there yet. He goes into the pond to look for the necklace and then immediately back out, deciding he shouldn't go. He should go back to the house. <laughs> I was just like, what? Oh, oh, okay. It was just well, to get him wet. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was, just, it was extra stupid because it's like oh, I gotta go get it. And there's other friends who's like, oh, okay, I'll help. Well, no, you can't. You, you can't see down there. Like, well, what the fuck was your plan, Jonathan? <laughs> But then later on, he goes to get it at the same time of night where you can't yeah. see it out there. Yeah. He tells Rhino then that he's got to do I this love by himself. Like, I, have a, I have a diving mask in my house. Like, you couldn't have just gone to the store and gotten one that was closer. Like, he's <laughs> the only diving mask in all of <laughs> in all of Maryville. And it's also, like, it's, it's night. Like, this and Scream too, too. We're like, oh, we need to watch a We need a VCR. They're in a college. I mean, every. I mean, this is before DVD. <laughs> yeah. But, like, the only one they know of is, like, deep in the bowels of the AV building. Like, what? <laughs> West Raven's world, there is only one of everything. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. John returns home, hearing running water in the bathroom, and there's more bloody messages on the mirror saying, Stop him, Jonathan, please. Coach is in the shower with a knife and a bloody hand, and we see he's limping, and then he attacks him. After temporarily getting Coach into a, some room to keep him out, uh, he finds the dead body of Pac-Man. The battle resumes. Uh, the ghost of Allison then shows up and uh, begs the coach not to let Pinker take his soul. And Jonathan tells coach to will him out. 
Coach stabs himself. Pink arises from the body, and Jonathan is blown aback, trying to attack him. Uh, Allison steps in, and in the middle, uh, Pinker going toward Jonathan and shoots a light beam at him, saying, Go back to hell, Pinker. And Dad shows up at the door. Allison tells Jonathan that she has something very important to tell him. But, you know, Zed Pinker sticks his finger in the light socket and transports himself inside it as Dad busts into the house. Looks like the goddamn electric chair in here. <laughs> well, he, he, he definitely smells electricity and death. There's a weird bit in that sequence, too, where, like, you find out that Pac-Man was in love with him. I mean, he, he couldn't possess Pac-Man because if you love if you love somebody, but if, you, if somebody loves Jonathan, then Shocker can't possess them. Which is not only just like a weird thing to drop, but they do it right before he possesses his dad. So it's like, oh, his dad is in love. <laughs> <laughs> and if apparently, if you're his current love, you can come back as a ghost and shoot beams. Oh yeah, her little heart beam. Yeah. Dad lets him know that there's an APB on him as people saw him in Pastoria at the park, and now Pastoria's dead. They have a bit of reflection on their relationship. You know, he says, "Family, a long time, Jonathan. Been through a lot of tough times. I saw you." Turn a screwed-up childhood into straight A's. Football scholarship. I've been proud to be your father. I can't see you a killer. Besides, Pastore's body was just a, a husk. Just like... Just like Pinker's. Holy shit. Is that how you knew about Bobby's fingers? I gotta take you in, kid. Don't do that, Don. The backup shows up to read him his rights straight from the book. I love that. The guy has this little notebook. He's, He's like, got, like, right up to his right face with his finger running. Sound. <laughs> Finally, my turn. His father picks up a lamp and is sh- you know, shocked by it and tells uh, the officer to put him in his car. He'll take him to the station himself. And from the back seat, Jonathan notices Pinker's grin on his father. Rhino shows up all of a sudden, breaks the, the window of the cop car, and tosses John yeah. out. Does he, like, drop kick it? I mean, you know, it's like... I don't even I see how... him appear. It's just the window's broken now. I love that back in this day, this guy, this particular actor, this particular kind of person could dive at a cop, all with guns already out, and they don't do anything. It's like, oh, this is a very dated movie. <laughs> uh, yes. That's what I thought, too. Like, he's assaulting an officer, yeah. and he doesn't like, go to jail. Arrest them. Like, they let him go. Like, Rhino's out and about two yeah. scenes later. He... He not only assaults an officer, he also helps someone that is under arrest get away. We'll just, no uh, repercussions. Song, when uh, when when Don, when Michael Murphy's chasing uh, Jonathan, song that comes on is like kind of like the only one on the soundtrack that's not amazing, as far as I'm concerned. But in the commentary, it's the first time Wes actually points out the music. You could tell, like, this is where he's like, yeah, uh, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't have, uh, like, because, I mean, the whole thing was, like, Shep Gordon was, you know, the guy that executive produced the movies, he was also, like, uh, Alice Cooper's manager and, you know, other rock acts. So that was kind of his thing. It was like, we'll get this movie, I'll produce it, but I'm also going to give a little showcase to some of these bands that I'm working with. This is the only time in this commentary that uh, Wes just kind of... <sighs> <laughs> like, just, like, the movie like really just loses all like semblance of being a horror movie. It's just a straight up goofy comedy action kind of thing at this point. Right. Like who cares anymore? 
when I was watching the movie, I just wondered, is Wes Craven just a huge heavy metal fan? Because uh, like almost every song is heavy metal. I asked him, I, I interviewed him for, um, I think it was the Last House remake. And it was weird because like, when you get to do these interviews, you usually they get like five or ten minutes. And they forgot about us. Like they walked, they like, all right, you know, it's five, you know, whatever it was, ten minutes. And they leave the room. It's like, you know, they're doing like these hotel rooms. And so they leave and we're talking about Last House and stuff. And then like I kind of ran out of Last House questions. I just started talking about other stuff. And like, it's like, I'm like, when the hell are they going to come get us? It ended up being like a 30-minute interview, which is awesome. But I asked him about, because at the time, they were, you know, they obviously was doing Last House. They they were doing, not with him, but, they, you know, the Nightmare on the Street remake was in production. He was talking about maybe doing, oh, you know, Hillside Eyes had just come out like two years before. And so he's like, uh, obviously, like remaking his stuff is now kind of a thing. And you know, he was talking about maybe remaking Shocker because he said he was never happy about the uh, the special effects and you know, like some of the other choices. So he's talking about how it would be different this time. I said, all right, fine, as long as you keep the soundtrack. And West just goes Shocker. I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow. Oh shit. And also rename him to be Horace Shocker. Yeah, Horror Shocker this time. Horror I gotta blow up this. I make a damn action figure so I can have one. No, they haven't, have they? <laughs> no, I've never even seen like a custom one. If McFarlane's Movie Maniacs had like lasted the set 57, maybe they would have done one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, like NECA has that uh, Billy from Silent Night, Deadly Night coming. I'm like, you gotta have a horse oh, finger. Yeah. yeah, that'd be cool. Uh, father begins uh, firing at him. Uh, Rhino tackles him, and he takes off uh, chasing John and the, Jonathan in the cop car. He's like, I'll get him. This one's mine. We wind up at a TV studio building, of course, and chase through an alley up a fire escape to the roof. It's another epic, not climax of the movie, you know, sequence. <laughs> yeah. And Jonathan climbs up the satellite tower. Yeah, like, the, the climax. I mean, this is basically King Kong. I mean, you get... Right. You know, Climbing on the top of a electric tower thing, and they're like they're like, nope, that's just the end of Act Two. Yes. Yeah. To me, I was like, oh, here we go. The inspiration for the ending of the Cable Guy coming up. Here we, yeah. I like the little beam too. Like when Shocker goes, like he gets sucked into a beam, but then it turns into this like little rainbow thing that goes across the city. It's like, oh, oh <laughs> peace. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, at the top, Jonathan tries to tell his dad to take control for a moment. Yeah, I never got. He 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 pretends he's having a heart attack. Yeah. And that can and that tricks Shocker. Somehow. Uh, can't be in here. The, for Shocker's this. like, oh shit, I don't want to. You figure that you figure that he'd be like, what the hell's wrong with this guy? There's, <laughs> I don't, I'm not in pain. The guy's an idiot. Yeah. But yeah, he writes the the signal of the dish. He says, asshole. I'm nationwide now. <laughs> he's it, not like he's stuck around local program. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm gonna get you, John Tesh. <laughs> he almost kills John Tesh, which is great. He, oh, that'd been great. Oh yeah. Jonathan helps his dad up, telling him he'll. He never knew he had a bad heart, and his dad said he faked it to trick Picker. Which man, if only Coach knew that. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Aww, Coach. Uh, great if he like took this information and like. Had John Tash, like, if you're possessed by a shocker, just pretend you're having a heart attack. Yeah. <laughs> like, they'll protect the whole public. Just make up an ailment. Just say, like, oh, you've got a, a peanut allergy, and then eat a bunch of peanuts, and he'll freak out, and he'll leave your body. I want, like, a, a, a like a Rosencrantz and Guildenstern kind of take on this movie. Just do the whole thing from John Tesh's point of view, and, like, constantly reporting on this serial killer that, like, <laughs> doesn't seem to be dead. 
New evidence, he, yes. What does he do? What, like, he goes home at night, he's like, Jesus Christ, is this story ever going to end? I want to report on something else. <laughs> Every day, this Jonathan Parker kid's doing something else. He just says, I just want to write my music. <laughs> you know, Tesh was asking if he could be on the soundtrack, too. <laughs> <laughs> he's, like, he's like, I know, you know, Wes, I know metal, right? <laughs> be craving West Craven get your Red Rocks bullshit out of here John Tesh this is a metal movie what is it is it called like Round Ball Rock is that the one from the NBA on NBC that he's known for yeah I think it is. someone should re-edit the, the final sequence to that <laughs> I want every action sequence to be that music <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> so John Tesh tells a story that Jonathan was in jail and another family was murdered a note left on the wall to Jonathan, so knowing that there's no way Jonathan could do it, and there was no sign of a break-in. They were just watching TV. Man, that guy's full of clues. Uh, he, <laughs> he reports on Coach and Pac-Man's death are now mur- is now a murder-suicide. They report on them by showing clips from the funeral scene from earlier in the movie, because you remember that the crew was there. Getting there. close up to the person there, just in case. John's Jonathan's at his house telling his whole football team about this and uh, who's in for whatever plan he's got going on. Rhino and the rest of them end up going to break into a power plant. Uh, Jonathan is in the kids' room having a TV reporter film a room around 5 to midnight, and he goes to the pond to search for the necklace and struggles to find it, and then Allison creepily swims up to him. He goes into his dreams to the pond. Well, yeah, well, then we see he's in his waterbed sleeping, and... Uh, mm-hmm. His TV turns on, slowly rolls towards him as we see Pinkers in it. I really like that when the the TV moves. It's I I think it's creepy. It's like yeah. it's like reminding you. Remember, this is a horror movie, by the way. In his dream, Jonathan gets out of the water and is comforted and kissed by Allison. And uh, are, are we supposed to insinuate that they had sex here? I hope they did. And who wouldn't want to have sex after your undead girlfriend zooms through the water at you? <laughs> because at first he's freaked out. And when I felt like he was freaked out, I was like, why are you scared? You saw her earlier. But then she does this move. Yeah, she just, like, that... glides through there. It's like, ooh. Yeah, she turns into Pennywise for a moment and just <laughs> haunts at him. And there's, like, some, like, 9-11 dead shit where, like, every person that died in the movie starts, yeah. like, walking toward him. Yeah. It looks really cool. Yeah. It, it looks neat, but at the same time, I thought, like, are they here to kill him? Yeah. Why are they all <laughs> here? <laughs> Why'd you shoot him in the knee when you were a kid? You should have shot him in the head. Yes. Finish well, the job, Jonathan. Apparently, being a terrible shot runs in the family because yeah. Pinker shoots at Jonathan. Oh yeah, I don't know how many times, and he only yeah. hits him once. Yeah. Like when he, when they're chasing him up like the tower, I thought I, I just couldn't believe how he missed him every. He's going up a ladder. How easy is that to hit a person on a ladder? But Pinker can't do it. Pinker might be the slasher whose you know, weapon of choice he, is a he gun. Decide not to move like he's cleaned up the bathroom and he took all the sheets down too. Is he gonna stay in this house after all? Or? He's having trouble selling. Mark, market's <laughs> yeah. not good. He might want to keep it for a couple months. Maybe he's gonna rent it out. The team gets in the main power box and. Pinker comes through the TV in Jonathan's room, and in his dream, the, as we said, the victims approached him and tell him to wake up, and he's hesitant to go back and wake up, but Allison comforts him and says, you'll never be apart from me again, ever. And he wakes up. There's some evangelical program on TV, and he sits down in his recliner, and he realizes he's got the necklace on. Uh, the preacher keeps saying, check your perimeter, and the lazy boy wraps up Jonathan, and it becomes <laughs> Horace Pinker. 
This is like your uh, I'm your boyfriend now, Nancy tongue. Yeah. yeah. Moment. But I, 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 through the scene has always been a, a big. I've always been a big fan of that. Like when I saw that, like okay, now we're in Goofy Town, right? Yeah. It doesn't stop because when he he does turn into the the chair turns into into Pinker, the top half of him is Pinker, and the bottom yeah, half of him is there. right, yeah. right. So, yeah, so the footrest is flopping around. It's, it's awkward. <laughs> Jonathan struggles free as Pinker shock beats him up, transporting from different electrical items. And he's like, come on, boy, let's take a ride in my Volkswagen. Uh, <laughs> I love that pun more oh, than did. I should. Yeah. And Sarker turns into, like, Tinkerbell. Like, he's just kind of flying around. Like, right. like a of light, like, flying around the room attacking him. Well, I like how it looks like an analog TV signal or something. And then sometimes he's just normal. And there's no yeah. real... It's like, did... uh, it just goes back and forth. Did we just go, oh, crap, we forgot to do post on this shot, and I just leave it in? Or... <laughs> but, like, I just the really like the... was really bad, too. Like, everything is just, like, a little bit off. Like, even if there's no real effect going on, like, they still don't look like they're really there sometimes. Right, yeah. Like, yeah. There, yeah there's one scene where Peter Berg just walks up to a door, and you can clearly tell like, there's some rear projection or something going on. Yeah. yeah. Like, get ready for some special effects. Absolutely. <laughs> Jonathan throws a necklace in his face, and Pinker returns to the TV, to which Jonathan goes right after him, and Heavy Metal plays as they go fighting and chasing each other through a war program, Leave it to Beaver, Alice Cooper concert, Frankenstein, the Hindenburg, and news while John Tesh reports on this. When I was a kid, this is the part we'd just rewind over and over again, just watch this whole sequence. It was just so oh, awesome. funny and goofy. Yeah, I mean, it's the funny goofy. Played. When they run through the war footage and one soldier's just like, who the hell's that guy? What are the channels in this town? Or leave it to Beaver and News. Yeah, and, and the religious channel. But, yeah. And that's and that's it. They have like a twenty four hour local news channel <laughs> where John Tesh is always the anchor. He's the anchor yeah. in the morning and in the evening. Okay. Sometimes notice them sometimes they don't they eventually pop out of the tv into some family living room with a giant picture of a cat on the wall uh, <laughs> like a lady who's like just completely nonplussed about it, just like huh what get him huh <laughs> two people jumped out of a tv this is a beat they've been floating through tv channels into a quote-unquote real-life living room that looks like something from, like, a TV commercial making fun yeah. of people sitting at home. Yeah, it's very married with children, like, cheesy. Yeah, it, it looks like what a lower-class British family would live in. The woman says, I've heard of audience participation shows, but this is ridiculous. Like, they're in the nuclear, like, that standard nuclear footage. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Of away and stuff, like, and, and Parker's just kind of flying around, like, what? <laughs> <laughs> So I wonder if his family was watching all those nuclear explosions. Yeah. They eventually get in the TV, go to the evangelical show, and then in the bedroom with the reporter that John had waiting. And when the camera goes on him, then Shocker becomes an analog. This is one of those scenes that uh, didn't really survive Blu-ray because you could see when he's throwing Peter Berg around in that in that living room, you could tell so bad it is not Peter Berg that he's like, oh yeah mm-hmm. oh yeah because in the one house yeah he, he taught he does like some sort of like slam move and you can tell that is not yeah. Peter Berg yeah. at all. It's a guy looks more like, uh, he looks more like like Craig Schaefer or somebody. Yeah. <laughs> I hate that when you get a Blu-ray, you're so excited and then like you just see all the movie's flaws so much easier. It's like, uh, like maybe yeah, maybe we were better off. 
VHS. <laughs> what is the the crash mats in like Elm Nightmare on Elm Street? It's like oh, no, yeah, never yeah. noticed that before. So, and there was a there was a wire on his dad on the tower when he was hanging off coming yeah. from his back yeah. that I saw. The reporter and cameraman run when Pinker notices them, and he goes to stab Jonathan, and Jonathan grabs a remote to hit pause, freezing Pinker. He's like, you bought into TV, Pinker? Now you're bound by its rules. And he uh, <laughs> takes the remote. It had to be this remote in this room. They, they couldn't have grabbed yeah. it when they were at that people's, in people's house. But right. like, what do you mean you have no remote? This remote? is like live on the news, right? Like they can, Well, I guess because he's on camera. Like Maybe. Mm-hmm. He takes the remote and controls him all over the room while telling him of all his victims. He goes, It just showed you what you can never remember. What it feels like to be victimized. Oh, get me a violin, my old shit. Because I'm sure getting tossed around a room is just like getting stabbed and murdered. And- sure. This is another part where the goofy factor gets cranked way up. I mean, it's entertaining, but at the same time, it's like, what is your movie here? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Pinker asks for him to stab him. Jonathan throws the knife out the window. Jonathan accepts that he's his father, but he says he's the only one who controls his life. Jonathan says Rhino is going to blow the power station. With that, if he's not in the TV, he won't survive. And then Jonathan realizes he's late because his watch isn't working. Rhino gives the order to cut the power. Power goes out in the city. Pinker goes to jump in the TV, and Jonathan unplugs it, having him go headfirst into it. Picks up a piece of the glass from the screen to stab Jonathan, but pushes him back into the camera with the necklace hanging off of it. Yeah, so Jonathan jumps into the the lens of the camera. Camera, yes. What they're trying to accomplish here? Were they trying to like catch him in like a loop? Was there something about like bringing the camera toward the TV? You know. Yeah, yeah. I didn't completely get that part of it. Like the they're already in TV, but they have to go through the TV to not be trapped in it or something. I I didn't get what they were trying to do, (laughs) which sucks because this is how they're supposed to, you know kill the villain and if yeah. the audience doesn't understand the the rules that you're using then it isn't it's not very satisfying <laughs> uh, even so pinker seems somewhat confused by it he's yeah, he's like, how's this gonna huh? kill me now <laughs> he's like you know i'm made of electricity right i can just i can just go into a wall socket dumbass <laughs> pinker gets up and is blown to analog smithereens and jonathan shoots through the tv just in time into his bedroom Pinker threatens him never to turn on the TV and blah, blah, blah. Thoughts. And, and then and, Jonathan turns off the fire that's in the TV yeah, right. with the remotes. <laughs> he, he, he goes outside where his neighbors are wondering what's going on with the power. And Jonathan looks at the clear... That's west, by the way. The, the neighbor's west grave. Oh, is that where he popped up? Yeah. Jonathan looks at the clear sky and asks Allison if she can, if she can see the stars. And she says, absolutely beautiful. And then, for some reason, Jonathan and his neighbors walk down the street, and our credits begin rolling. <laughs> my power's out. I just, I, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I, I light a candle. I, I'm not hanging out outside. You in the middle of the night? Yeah, let's just walk down the street. I, <laughs> I mean, I, I kind of understand why Jonathan's outside the house. He's like, I am out of there. I'm done with this. I can oh. breathe. I've been trying to move go. anyway. <laughs> At this point, just ditch the whole thing, like in the Amityville. Where they just like leave all the belongings, just get the hell out of there. <laughs> He's probably gonna go find his team, <laughs> make sure they're okay. Or maybe he wants to go to sleep and uh, ha- have some good times with his girlfriend now that Pinker's not there anymore. 
Well, well, all the previous dead bodies of Pinker Watch. That's what he's. Yeah. Oof. Uh, that's the thing is, you know, she says that she's with him always, so he's just never gonna be in another relationship. Is that what happens? Yeah. Like, <laughs> Apparently at 20 or whatever this or 21, I guess, at least he just has his, his girlfriend is a ghost and he's just stuck with her until he dies. <laughs> what a great life. What a great reward after fighting the man that tried to murder you. Awesome. Now we get to the point of the episode where we rate the movie we just watched. As this is Cult Cinema Cavalcade, we keep things nice and culty. Our ratings are as follows. Uh, stay with your family, which means you just want to stay in and watch John Chester on the news all night and never probably want to see the shocker again. Converted, which means you're you know on the football team. You kind of believe Peter Berg. You want to go with where he's going. And uh, drink the Kool-Aid. Um, Ghost Girlfriends Forever. That's We love them. So, Brian, how do you rate? Shocker. Oh, I am 100% drinking the Kool-Aid on this one. I love this one. I mean, look, I know it's got flaws. I, I will be the first to admit it. Like, I felt almost guilty when I hosted that screening. It's like I just feel that the movie, you know, especially in the first act, you just, you just wanted to get to, you know, the electricity stuff. And it just takes forever to get there. And, you know, like I said, when you're at midnight or 1 a.m., as the case may be, you know, people are just like, <sighs> you know, but... It's just such a crazy movie, and it's just like throwing everything at you, like with no, <laughs> no discern about whether or not it fit tonally or not. It's just like, eh, whatever. Let's have fun, sort of. Let's have as much fun as you can in a movie about a, a child murderer. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's definitely one of those you kind of had to be there deals. I don't think too many people, especially our age, are gonna like see this movie for the first time now and be like, holy shit, this is great, you know? I mean, I'm sure there are a few. I think the ideal time to see this movie is when you're 10 and you haven't been exposed to much heavy metal music, you haven't been exposed to a lot of hardcore violence, or at least, you know, hardcore violence that you can see in a Hollywood production. You know what I mean? Like, all these kind of things are still kind of new to you, and I was like, that's the best time to see this. Not when you're like an astute sort of veteran of horror. But, uh, you know, if you saw it at the right time or you have an open mind, then hell yeah, it's a, it's a great, fun movie. Well, Come I on. have an open mind. This is the, the first time I've seen this movie uh, was for oh, the wow. show. Uh, it's one of those things that I always meant to see. I saw that box in the video store of Mitch Pileggi getting electrocuted, and I just never got around to seeing it. So I was really happy when Brendan said, that's the next episode we're doing. Like, All right, finally. Check this one off. I've seen it. I will reiterate that I love how much he swears in this movie. He's such a bastard. Like, bad guys should be bad. And he's just a... He's just... Not only is he a bad guy, he's just a dick. Just a real yeah. jerk. Every turn. <laughs> I will emphasize again, I love that little girl saying, like, move it, you fucker, or whatever she said. I love that so much. And as a child... <laughs> You'll definitely love Kathy Skerson. Well, oh, good. Yeah. Good. And she's, she's a child using construction equipment. I, it amuses me endlessly. I, I think that the movie would have been better if you took off about the first 30 minutes of the movie and made it more like Elm Street where like, all right, there's this history and maybe the movie starts with him being electrocuted. And yeah. then like the, and then like they said, like, you know, Peter Berg's character, shit, you can have John Tesh 
he's Ted exposition in this movie. You just have yeah. a news story with him talking about Peter Berg's character, about how he busted this guy. That would have, that would have been great. That would have helped the pacing a lot. But even despite the movie being a little longer than it should be, I drink the Kool-Aid on this movie. I had a lot of fun. I wouldn't, I don't want to say you have to sit through the first 40 minutes of the movie. I mean, you do have to watch it, but, but it's not a chore because there's all kinds yeah. of awesome stuff in it. Like when, when Shocker is in the prison and he's got the jumper cable, it's like, what the fuck is this? What's happening? I'd love to watch uh, this movie with somebody who had no idea what it was about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They just hear Shocker like, I don't want to watch your porn. It's like, no, 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 it's about electricity and a guy gets killed. It's, it's all right. Uh, but yeah, I absolutely drink the, uh, the Kool-Aid on this one. Brandon, how do you rate Shocker? I think Shocker's a good instance of, of showing you everything good and bad about Wes Craven in, in a more positive light. Because there's there's a thing where he can make a a movie that's... It kind of reminds me of Surfers in the Rainbow, where you have three-fourths of it's kind of this compelling, really good horror movie. And then he just finishes it with like this crazy, goofy battle at the end. Yeah. And they both... You could say it goes off the rails, but... That's kind of part of the enjoyment with it. Mitch Pelegi's great. He's almost too much, but he he's not, doesn't quite hit there. He hits. He perfectly hits this. Like he's all in. Peter Berg's actually kind of fun to watch going around. He's not too vanilla, but he's not too douchey. I don't think. I like all the ghost girlfriend stuff. I think this has some of Wes's best visuals. Some of his. Uh, I've always thought of him as like underrated in sort of an action director type aspect with some of his horror films. Like like Scream Two has some really cool horror action set pieces that I always praise. I'm like, oh my gosh, there's some really great stuff here that you don't see in slasher movies. And this has some of the, uh, those things with it and ambitious. It's it's not perfect. It's got flaws. It does take forever to get to the shocker portion of shocker. But in the meantime, you're treated to gruesome murder scenes, some weird dream stuff, trying to figure out what's going on, and some hey, shocking turns that you wouldn't expect having seen like a lot of slasher movies. You would expect Allison to be, yeah. be sticking around for quite some time. You might have expected Rhino to not survive the movie. He survives. Uh, (laughs) Most of the football team survives. But yeah, I I drink the Kool-Aid on Shocker because I maybe because I saw it at a young, impressionable age where I can go back and still have a charm for it or I have been there with it long enough that I I forgive a lot of its sins or whatever. But it's it's an (laughs) enjoyable movie. And if you like slashers and want something different, especially if you like the slashers in the wake of freddy krueger where they all like talked and were mouthy or supernatural in some sort of way this is up there with those on the next episode of cult cinema cavalcade we'll be discussing halloween 2 from 1981, the sequel to the John Carpenter classic. Joining us for discussion will be Ben Scrivens from horror apparel website, FrightRags.com. I can't wait! Also, be on the lookout. This Friday is Friday the 13th, and as always, we'll be covering another one. Jason X, if you'll remember, and our good buddy James Oster is back with us, and coming along for the ride will be the man who wrote the film himself, Todd Farmer. So, stay tuned for that. Thank you for not changing the channel and listening all the way through. And thank you so much to Brian Collins for coming on. It's been awesome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was great. Always talk about Shocker at length. <laughs> where, where can people find uh, the things you do? I uh, write a weekly column at the Birth Movies Death called Collins Script. I'm pretty sure I've done one on Shocker. You can check me out. Uh, 
occasional reviews. Don't listen to the name of the site. It's still called HorrorMovieAday.com, but it's not every day anymore. More like Horror Movie a Week. And then uh, you'll see a link there for my book, and the, the cover is inspired by Shocker, in fact. So stick out a little bit. And, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. And then you find me on Twitter all the time, Brian W. Collins. We love to tweet. We look forward to next time, but first, stay tuned for the trailer to Halloween 2, the trailer that actually trails. I shot him six times. I shot him in the heart. He's not human. Universal Pictures presents Halloween 2. More of the night he came home. There was nothing within him, neither conscience nor reason, that wasn't even remotely human. Some kind of a joke? I've been trick-or-treated to death tonight. You don't know what death is. Janet, go tell Mr. Garrett we're having trouble with the phones. There is no place to hide. He will always find you. What's this? It's a Celtic word. It means the Lord of the Dead. Cult Cinema Cavalcade, part of the Creative Zombie Studios Network. For press opportunities, advertising opportunities, and more information on Cult Cinema Cavalcade, contact mail at cultcinemacavalcade.com. Produced by Brad Shoemaker, edited by Brandon Peters, narration by Rebecca Peters. Theme song Pink Baby by Happy Elf appears courtesy of the freemusicarchive.org network. The film and music featured in this episode are part of their respective studios and no infringement is intended. Join us again in two weeks for a new episode of Cult Cinema Cavalcade. This time killing the wife and two foster children detective leading the search for the killer. Local college football star Jonathan Parker, seen here, was also a foster child raised by the couple. After being found beaten and near death, he was just seven years old.
programming of several local stations during the last several minutes. Ah! 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 That's the way it is. 